Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Chad. And I'm Charlotte. And today we are doing our fourth installment on the Nicene Creed. And just a reminder, we're reading the version that is used in our uh, tradition, but yours might be a little bit different. So, so here we go. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. So this section clearly uh, pertaining to the third person of the Trinity. What are your thoughts, Charlotte? Well, I mean, immediately evident is how very brief it is. It is brief. (laughs) We had this section on Christ. We had to break into two sections, you know, around the kind of uh, cosmic Christ and then the incarnate Christ and that work. Um, Although, gosh, the the little bit about the first person (laughs) seems incredibly small now, too. Yeah, so what do we have there? Well, the Holy Spirit's on the team. The Holy Spirit is an object worthy of worship and glorification with the Father and the Son is must be equal mm-hmm. to the Father and the Son. Um, but then as far as the activity of the Spirit, we have the mention of, or this affirmation as the giver of life. Uh-huh. And then that, the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. Right. It's not very satisfying, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I read the part about giver of life, I think about uh, create the creation account. The um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the Hebrew scriptures, Ruach is translated both as breath and Spirit. And I guess in the Greek, uh, pneuma is the same, right? Breath and Mm -hmm. spirit. Yeah. So my mind kind of goes to that, you know, the breath of life. Um, But if I just think of it in terms of of the creed as a whole and this idea that God is is one, uh, you know, I, I iterate that every episode, I guess, that God has this, you know, the divine intention um, that is fulfilled in Christ uh, through the work, the person and the work of Christ. And maybe one way to think about the Holy Spirit is the one, the Holy Spirit is the means to bring all that to fruition in our, uh, I want to say that, well, the Spirit indwells us. So it's the Spirit mm-hmm. who does the groundwork, mm, so to speak. Is that is that how I want to put it? I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Certainly for Calvin, you know, for Calvin, when Christ ascends, he's located at the right hand of the Father, wherever that is. Oh, my gosh. And so, it's so embarrassing. No, it is. <laughs> and so the Spirit does all the work. Um, I agree with you. That's not my favorite way of looking at it. But... <laughs> it's it's as the kids say so cringe calvin (laughs) yeah but i think okay i think it's great to this 
reminder point around uh, the Holy Spirit and breath, giver of life, uh, Ruach, Elohim, all of that. Because it's not just uh, you know, animating force, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, And there's parallels, I think, that are fun to really play with. And the tradition certainly has around the Genesis accounts and God breathing uh, the breath of life into humanity into Mm -hmm. adam right uh and then the john 20 passage uh where when jesus appears to the disciples and gives his spirit as breathes on them Mm -hmm. you know to as a would that be i think that's kind of wonderful it's like a um a resuscitation even maybe you know of humanity in that moment but yeah but then jesus is gone (laughs) <laughs> right but not but yes <laughs> well, but I the mean, promise seems to be at least in the johannine tradition right. let's say that you know jesus is going to ascend but we're sent this other comforter this advocate this other spirit that is going to dwell with us and within us and that is the new Let's say way in which we experience the Godhead is right. would be primarily through this third person. Right. I mean, when he says to his disciples, it's, it's the farewell discourse. And he says he's leaving, but I'm not going to leave you orphaned. And how does he not leave us orphaned? The In the Johannine, anyways, the Father sends the Spirit. Or he sends the spirit, the father spirit is how he puts it. Mm-hmm. Spirit of the father. But I, I like, like we like. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I know you'll like this too. Although this I'm not I don't think this is maybe where you were going, but um Eckhart has a play on this too, around the need for the actually the need for the ascension, kind of answering the question around like why didn't Jesus just stay? <laughs> like mm-hmm. he's resurrected and okay and perfect and uh go ahead build your kingdom (laughs) why would you leave after that um but Eckhart saying that the ascension and the ascension of christ and the gift of the spirit uh takes us out of a faith that is driven primarily by uh, a focused toward a particular time and place and a particular Mm. person meaning meaning yes jesus is a particular person um but that god in god's self and even christ in christ's self is not male right is not Mm -hmm. uh, of a particular culture of a particular time and place but is Mm -hmm. embodying all times and places and and the full spectrum of humanity and that the gifts then of the ascension of removing this particular human being um, and then the gift of the spirit allow us to experience that in a, in a fullness that we might not otherwise have. Yeah. Yeah. Universalizes the divine presence. Yeah. Not just that one Norwegian Jesus on all the, posters 
Norwegian Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to what you were saying, that the idea that he, the giver of life is not just about the animating principle. I mean, when you think about, especially in Paul's writings, when he talks about the spirit and life in the spirit, it's all about not just enduring existence, but a certain kind of life, right? The fruit of mm-hmm. the spirit, love, mm-hmm. joy, peace, patience, kindness, that kind of thing. So it's, so I take it the spirit is not just like you're saying, not just the giver of life as an animating principle, but the giver of a certain particular kind of life that matches mm-hmm. the kingdom that will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think to tag along with that, just noteworthy how extraordinarily intimate this gift of the spirit, whether it is literally God's, the depiction of God breathing into Adam's nostrils. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's too close. <laughs> I don't, you need a mint, God. <laughs> or, or Jesus breathing on all of his yeah. disciples. You have to be really close with someone to, yeah. <laughs> to take that. <laughs> for that to be okay i would not Uh, be comfortable oh my gosh yeah i mean being on a crowded elevator like i feel your (laughs) breath on my neck you need to get i gotta get out of here immediately you know um but i think that also you know a wonderful image both of the the intimate care of god but how closely aligned that this is the spirit of god the spirit of christ that is being offered to us it's that connected that it's being breathed immediately from one person from the divine into us yeah and this idea that the incarnation foreshadows kind of this the destiny of humanity that we are created to be indwelt by god that Mm -hmm. that union of humanity and god is not just a external relation but within our own selves which is mm-hmm. you know an amazing thought but it's not just an external relation it's an internal relation and that pretty much exhausts it because we <laughs> <laughs> as i say the the very much underdefined person of the trinity compared to the other two in a way you did bring up a, an interesting point before we were talking, another interesting point before we were talking, which is, you know, this idea of worship and glorifying the Holy Spirit. Like, how much of that do we actually do? I think that's a fair point. Oh, um, I was saying, when do we, when is the Holy Spirit an object of worship versus yeah. the first or second person? Yeah. You know, it's the kind of me and Jesus stuff. We got pretty well covered. In American Christianity, right? Jesus is my friend. I'm doing following Jesus. I mean, that as a metaphor. I don't mean we have it covered like we're doing it. That's an <laughs> indisputable no. Um, you know, and father language or at least or this kind of generic God stuff in pl- maybe in place of the first person, but a focus on the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know that we do as much of that i mean pentecost for sure the spirit often gets invoked maybe in the beginning of a worship service i'll see some spirit language 
Uh, but then it's Jesus we just. Well, even in the scriptures, you see worship of the first person. You see worship of Christ. Mm -hmm. You don't see worship of the third person. At least you see the third person invoked as an aid of worship. Mm -hmm. you know, helps us in prayer. And what you said, uh, which I think, number one, I think the primary purpose here is just to establish that the third person is divine. Mm -hmm. And in general, we worship God, which obviously includes the whole Trinity. Um, but you were saying something about invoking the Holy Spirit. I think because of that, that list of gifts of the Spirit and whatnot that I've decided means that's the laundry list of things I want to ask the spirit for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if my, you know, I mean, if I'm looking for peace and mercy and healing, and I'm understanding that those things come from the spirit or the idea of creativity, um, the Holy Spirit in my mind associated with the arts and artists mm -hmm. and ingenuity, then it's come Holy Spirit is the prayer for me. Uh -huh. But I found out in our little chit chat that that's not as universal as I, for no reason, assumed. Well, maybe it is. I mean, I'm certainly not the measure of, uh, well, just off the top of my head, I was just thinking about in um, the book of common worship daily prayer when it, at the close of day, you know, it has a confession. And uh, of course it, breaks it down in the prayer confession it says almighty god maker of all things have mercy on us jesus christ redeemer of the world have mercy on us holy spirit giver of life have mercy on us so i think there are instances um, that i just hadn't really thought about see even the way that is almighty god jesus christ holy spirit yeah yeah but i guess that reflects nicaea in a way as we were talking about in that first episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess I need to start invoking the Holy Spirit more. Well, <laughs> I think that's yes, the lesson. Please get to on that. Be, Maybe that's, lesson that's the take. lesson to be learned. Well, I here. mean, isn't that um, so much of the contemplative tradition and the mystics are focused on the spirit? I mean, it's Christ as the object of love and beloved, but the spirit as love itself and so, yeah. you know they're not universal schemes they all uh, uh, there's yeah. so many variations on it particularly if we're understanding the holy spirit as being kind of our current more experiential hmm maybe i take that again god's presence with us yeah yeah that that's where i should inspire I should expect, I think, to encounter the divine through the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Or more, if the immediate presence of God, I think I'm supposed to encounter currently through the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that I, I wouldn't through the others or that's some impossibility, but at least if I'm in that Johannine tradition, then that should be the the helper, the advocate, the first one I run to, yeah. right? Which is running to all three. I know. I get it. We have to keep saying that, and it's annoying. It all goes back to one. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe this just brings up the general point, at least in some traditions, 
that the the Holy Spirit is the one who does not get enough attention or as yeah. much attention. You know? Yeah. But that's even kind of reflected in the creed here. I mean, historically, the the initial line was just one line, wasn't it? And some of this yes, was, it a, was and it was literally just and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and that was the end. We were just done. Poor um, Holy Spirit. Now we do have another section that I think we'll talk about next time that mm-hmm. speaks about the work of the church. And I think that's connected to the work of the spirit. Yes. So but yeah, we're not getting per- a lot of personal information here. I think, <clears throat> do you want to talk about the filioque? I want to hear <laughs> you talk about it. <laughs> so this is one of the places where we uh, have a actually a, a significant variant in the creed. Yes. So there is a variant between whether the creed is in first person singular or first person plural. And you'll hear in the East I believe more than we believe. But then this is the one that has precipitated amongst other things, uh, the great schism between the East and the West. Of course, there's, there's pretty much problems from the get-go because we have a Latin church and a Greek church, and right. they're just very different languages where mm. uh, high philosophy being trans- translated between the two doesn't always work, right. um, and different philosophies behind those cultures, too. Then we've also got disputes about power. Where does, who's, who's in charge of the church? Is it the bishop in Rome? Or is it uh, the Metropolitan in Constantinople or somewhere else? You know, yeah. uh, so this kind of focus, whereas the Western Church really gravitates toward Rome and the supremacy there uh, immediately and is solidified. But here we have a problem with the creed. So we're supposed to all be saying the same, professing the same faith. And here it seems like we aren't. So that's a a huge issue. So we have, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's that little phrase, and the Son, that in Latin is rendered filioque, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the issue. And you won't find that in the Greek church or in the the original text. So what's it doing there? (laughs) (laughs) So it seems like, and we're not going to be able to unravel this because a lot of church historians haven't quite unraveled all the different reasons for why we have this and the East doesn't. But it looks like the Latin church is more concerned about protecting against Arianism Mm -hmm. at this point and throughout its history than the Greek church. They feel like they've kind of stomped that out, right? So mm-hmm. what's being sort of protected with the and the son would be the uh, co-divinity consubstantiality of the son, meaning it's that the Holy Spirit comes from both of them, mm-hmm. uh, that the son is is equally a source. Mm, I don't want to say source of the, the Holy Spirit, yeah. but equally a giver. Well, how about that? Of the Holy Spirit. And we see a lot of texts that look like that. We just mentioned the John text, right? Mm-hmm. Where it is the son who comes and breathes the spirit on everyone else. The Greek church 
is protecting the first person as a primary cause mm-hmm. of the Trinity. Um, and so see this as a an error, a problem with that, that it erases the uniqueness then of the first person of the Trinity by conflating that role as cause and, and sharing that with the son. There's a pretty good agreement now between the Latin church and the Greek church or the Eastern church on this mm-hmm. though, that's saying we're saying the same things, but we're coming at it from different angles. So mm-hmm. the Greek church trying to describe more of what's happening within the Trinity itself and the uniqueness of the uh, three persons of the Trinity, whereas the Western church is really speaking more about how we experience the persons of the Trinity in human Mm -hmm. history. Um, And again, trying to lift up again, the um, divinity, the full divinity of the second person of the Trinity. Yeah. But it ended up at the time being like the last straw, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting too, how late it was that the, church in rome and elsewhere actually took on the filiac way i mean it was getting um put in at different places you can see i mean you'll see maximus the confessor affirm Mm -hmm. these same statements um Mm -hmm. but it wasn't really in the creed in the creed until the frankish king charlemagne and others insisted upon it which is also interesting because they were like it's always been that way. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite people who work at churches probably think that's funny. I hope so, because it's another one of my favorite, like, it's always been that way. It's like, yeah. you, first of all, just became Christians. <laughs> so slow your roll, Franks. Yeah. And then it was like 150 years or something kind of in use by the time that they're proclaiming it's always been that way. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's kind of disputed because we're not sure how much of that they and others went back and doctored. Back, uh-huh. Yeah, earlier documents to support that. It's it's sad though. It <laughs> well, but it's nice that they there does seem to be some uh, agreement at least over that particular issue that they've kind of come to some understanding. Yeah, the center of power. We're not going to figure out. I mean, I I guess all things are possible through God, but also that one, <laughs> because it's power, I don't mm-hmm. see uh, Rome or Constantinople or Alexandria or anybody else conceding, conceding that to some, to another, another church hierarchy. So what do you think about the last line who has spoken through the prophets? Hmm. That's, it almost seems like a throwaway, doesn't it? Um <laughs> I guess my first impression would be it protects the idea of the Holy Spirit from novelty. It's not a new idea or something that just showed up either at you know one of the Pentecosts or giving of the Holy Spirit, but it's something that then we could say was co-eternal or coexistent with the other. And always, and always at work. So it ties it to the antiquity of the Hebrew scriptures, you mean? Yeah. That's what I'm like. It was always at work in salvation history mm-hmm. somehow before this. I don't know. What do you think? 
That sounds good to me. I mean, you had mentioned it. They're probably working off that passage in Second Peter that says, "No that, prophets." That Go the ahead. prophets didn't speak of human from human will, but through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and I guess that also kind of um, well. It affirms it's almost the, it's circular logic, isn't it? <laughs> because it's affirming what the prophets had said as being from God mm -hmm. or through the spirit. And we're going to be that prophecy being being connected to the second person primarily. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting, at least in the Johannine literature, that one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit is as a witness to the mm -hmm. second person. Mm. Kind of what you're talking about last thoughts i okay let me preface this by saying i am comfortable with father and son language because it is biblical language mm -hmm. i work to expand beyond that language with other biblical images you know etc um so that we aren't thinking primarily of the first and second person of the trinity as being masculine as being male uh -huh. um but i've always appreciated that the holy spirit comes with at least some gender ambiguity uh -huh. <laughs> and the and maybe that is part of why it's been a long time go-to for me is that also makes the holy spirit a safe one to go to for me personally this has uh -huh. nothing this is now i'm almost sharing too much of my own baggage but as a woman with some baggage <laughs> uh that the holy spirit is either isn't gendered or is often um, feminine gendered yeah numa yeah in both the hebrew and greek i believe it's feminine gendered is that, that right or is that I, anyways go ahead sorry that that has always made the holy spirit more approachable yeah well, Even though it's the it's the humanity of Christ I'm supposed to cling to because that's common to my humanity, mm. but it's the Holy Spirit not being male mm. that makes the Holy Spirit just that much more attractive. Or let's say explicitly not male. Yeah, <laughs> or there's not that confusion there. That's and I just I think even some of my brightest students in in church or in sunday school or you know elders and people of deep deep faith i think are still given at times to picture god as an old man with a beard yeah. on the throne you know stuff and that the holy spirit seems to always come in and challenge that yeah. just by its existence and the fact that i'll say its existence in a way that i don't often do with the other two two folks you know yeah yeah i'm also glad we got away from the whole ghost language <laughs> I agree. the holy ghost somebody asked me about that the other day which i was a little bit taken back they were like so the holy ghost and holy spirit are the same right Ooh. And I was like, yeah, but then I was like, you know what? That language was so prevalent, and then we kind of switched. So an older person might be like, what, what is that the same thing? But yeah, the Holy Ghost, that's just a f kind of a scary. 
Well, I think that's one that was too easy for me to, I always kind of pictured Holy Ghost as like Casper, <laughs> like it had, <laughs> which is weird. Why do we think of ghosts as having like, maybe not physical beings, but also some kind of boundary, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. to their beings. Um, and that maybe Holy Spirit now helps to alleviate some of that image as well. Yeah. I guess aside from the, <laughs> the supposed terror of it but none of them are bound in any way but spirit seems so much more free than yeah. the other two yeah. yeah conceptually yeah okay okay anything else no i think we've really done great <laughs> <laughs>